I'll be freezing to death. Now they're saying it's global warming. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3 and 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. This world is going to remain as it is until Jesus comes again. Man has been abusing this earth almost from the creation. There have been wars. Nature itself has created <clears throat> uh, many natural disasters. This world has taken it all and it's still standing. We can harm it. We can abuse it. We can misuse it. But brethren, this earth is going to stand until Jesus comes again. We can rest assured that God has promised us this. Should we be good stewards of the earth? Yes, we should. We should take care of it. We should do our best to keep it clean, to keep it pure, and not abuse it. But whatever happens, we can rest assured because Peter tells us that it's going to remain as it is until Jesus comes again. You know, AOC has told us that we've got 12 more years, and that's it. I wonder if she has a 401k. You reckon she's concerned about her social security? Do you think she's serious when she says that the earth will be destroyed in 12 years? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36 that of that day and hour no man, no not the angels in heaven, but my father in heaven knows when that time is going to be. There have been predictions for ages from people who say they know when the end of the earth is going to be. Jesus himself said he does not know. Jesus may come back tonight. He may come back tomorrow. We don't know. But we can rest assured that this politician doesn't know. And I'll bet if we looked at her financial account, we would find that she is investing money for the long term, way past the 12-year period. Now, as for me, if I had the money that she has, and I knew that it wouldn't be any good after 12 years, I'd be spending that money. It wouldn't be sitting at a bank collecting dust. But Paul was addressing, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, the issues that the brethren there were facing. And in chapter 5 and verses 16 through 22, we have several short exhortations. Just short verses. But things that Paul is encouraging these brethren to focus on. He tells them that you know about the coming of Christ. You know what it's going to be like. That those who are dead in Christ shall arise. Those who are alive will meet them in the air and they will receive their just rewards. These things you know. And Paul is not telling him not to be concerned about this, but he's saying there are more important things that you need to be focused on. And these things will make you able to receive the blessings that you are concerned about. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 18 through 21, Paul says, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. 
abstain from all appearance of evil. These are character issues, brethren, that Paul is encouraging these brethren to focus on and be concerned with rather than the things that have got them all upset. And everything give thanks. Paul opened each of his epistles by giving thanks for the brethren. Regardless of the situation that, that he was writing the letters for, Paul opened his epistles with prayer and thanksgiving for the brethren. He was grateful for these brethren who had given themselves to Christ. Maybe they had gotten off the, the straight and narrow path, but he was grateful for them and he was trying to pull them back into the fold. In verse 16, Paul says to rejoice evermore. Matthew Henry says to, that praying without ceasing is a way to show that we are thankful. Pierre Cardin said in the final analysis, the questions of why bad things happen to good people transmutes itself into some very different questions. No longer asking why something happened, but asking how we will, will we respond and what do we intend to do now that it's happened? I've thought many times about what Frank said, and I, Shelton will understand this, my memory has slipped me, the brother that was hurt on the four-wheeler, uh, the head of GBN, and his statement that not woe is me, but what can I do now in the condition that I'm in? Maybe my condition will help me to reach someone else. This, brethren, is an attitude of gratitude. It's thankful it's not that what has happened to him has happened, but it's an attitude that this has happened and I'm going to make the best of it. And that should be the attitude that all of us have. Too many times I hear people say, why me? Well, why not me? Am, am I so good? Am I so special that bad things should not happen to me? That calamities should not come into my life? No, we're not. Calamities and bad things happen to each of us. But as this man has said, it's how we handle these things that sets us apart. Tiffany has had health troubles all her life. And she has used this in a way that she's able to reach other people. Other people who are going through the things that she has gone through, she's able to reach them and talk to them. And a number of people have told me how grateful they are that, they, that they're able to talk to her because it's helped them to deal with the situation that they're in with their health problems. It's opened the doors to Bible studies and many other things that has helped her to be a better servant and one who is better able to teach those who are outside of Christ. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. To paraphrase what Paul has said, regardless of what happens, act like a Christian. Know that God has promised us that he will be with us. He will guide us if we put our faith in him. Give thanks in all things. 
It's easy to give thanks when good things happen to us, but what about when the bad things happen? And as P.R. Cardian has said, what do we do now that it's happened? Verse 19, Paul says to quench not the spirit. There are many times that we are told to take heed lest others drag us away from the faith. Paul is putting the responsibility square on the shoulders of the brethren. He says, quench not the spirit. It is our responsibility to see that that fire is lit within us. The Holy Spirit has been described as a burning fire. How do you put a fire out? You starve it. You take away its fuel. You cut off its air supply. Paul says, don't allow that to happen. Don't allow things to come into our lives that will, will quench our spirit, will quench our desire to live the Christian life. But rather we should be doing those things and fellowshipping with, with people and with brethren who will help us to keep that spirit alive and will fuel our desire to be the kind of Christian that we need to be. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift that is in thee. Stir it up. We need to be stirred up, brethren. Sometimes we get complacent. Sometimes we get lazy. Sometimes we get caught up in things that are this world and, and we lose our focus. And we should do as Paul has told Timothy to do, to stir that spirit up. Refocus ourselves. In Jeremiah chapter 20 we find Jeremiah feeling sorry for himself. He told God, you have deceived me as if God would deliberately have Jeremiah do something with an ulterior motive. He told God, you deceived me. Jeremiah was upset with God. He said, my friends have forsaken me and, and my enemies are waiting for me to fail and it's all because I'm preaching the word. Jeremiah was upset, and we get discouraged at times, don't we? It's easy to get discouraged if we focus on the things that are wrong or the things that don't go our way. In verse 9 of Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing. I could not stay. Jeremiah was so mad. He reminded me of Jonah in a way because Jonah didn't want to preach either. But Jeremiah said, I was weary with forbearing and I could not contain it. I could not help myself. The desire to do God's will was so great in him that he couldn't keep quiet. And even though he was angry, he was discouraged, he was upset, still... He preached the word of God as he should have. In Acts chapter 4, we find Peter and John as they're preaching the gospel. And they upset a lot of people in the Jewish hierarchy. And they healed the lame man. And the Jews could not dispute it. It was something that was so obvious, so apparent to everyone who was, was in the vicinity. 
that this was some great miracle that had occurred. So they pulled Peter and John aside and they threatened them and told them not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And the Jewish leaders being afraid of the people pulled them aside again and threatened them again and told them to get out of town and, and don't preach anymore in his name. Peter and John did not allow the threats of mortal man to quench their spirit. They said, we cannot help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And that's the attitude that we should have, brethren, when we are discussing the word with others. Have that desire to speak the things which we know. In verse 20, Paul encourages the brethren to despise not prophesying. Have you ever been upset with the preacher? You might have been upset with me a time or two. I don't know. Some people do get upset with the preacher. There was one particular congregation where was the deacon's wife. Didn't like the preacher. She sit back and read the funny papers and make a point of letting everybody know what she was doing during the worship service. Despise not prophesying. Despise not the preaching. Brethren, the preacher has a job. The minister has a job, and that is to get us to heaven. His job is to preach the word in a manner that encourages us and uplifts us, but also, brethren, that chastises us when we need to be chastised. It's never a pleasant thing for a man to stand up here knowing that what he says is going to cause someone to have hard feelings. Not his intent for the person to have hard feelings, but he knows it's going to happen. But still, it's his responsibility, brethren, to correct us when we need to be corrected. Some say the preacher is too harsh. Well, what's harsh to one person might not be harsh to another. Being harsh may be what these people need to hear. You know, we all learn, learn things in different ways. And, and Paul tells us this a little later on. He says, you know, some we have to snatch out of the fire. You can't sugarcoat it for everybody. There are too many men out there who, who preach to keep a job, who don't want to say anything negative, but everything positive. Don't want to upset people, but rather want to keep that nice, cool, level of preaching where everybody leaves happy. And sometimes they preach for years and nobody knows that they, they've done anything wrong. And sin permeates the congregation and liberalism comes in and the congregation strays and it's because they had not been fed with sound teaching. I want you to notice what Matthew Henry has to say, he says, by prophesying we are to understand the preaching of the word, despise not the preaching of the word, the interpreting and applying of the scriptures, and this we must not despise, but should prize and value because it is the ordinance of God, appointed to him for our furtherance and increase in knowledge and grace and holiness and comfort. The gospel is preached, brethren, to get us to heaven. 
if I might paraphrase Matthew Henry. We should appreciate it. We should appreciate those who preach sound doctrine, even though sometimes it points to us. I've talked to people before who have sat in the pews time after time after time and they want to get up, they want to repent, but they just can't do it. They just can't make that decision. Don't know if they're waiting on the right word, the right instance, the right occasion. But it's the preacher's job, brethren, to get us to heaven, to preach the whole counsel of God. And if we have a, a problem with the word being preached, perhaps the problem is not with the preacher, but but with us and our approach to how the scriptures are handled. Brother Henry goes on to say, it is useful and many times needful to have our minds stirred up, our affections and resolutions excited to those things that we knew before to be our interest and our duty. We need to be reminded, as these Thessalonican brethren did, reminded of things that we might achieve that goal, which is to get to heaven. In verse 21, Paul says, to prove all things, hold fast that which is good. We go to get a car, we're gonna test drive that car, we're gonna make sure that car runs, it's what we want it to be. We go to buy clothes, we try the clothes on to make sure that they fit right, it's what we want. Most anything that, that we purchase, we're going to prove, we're going to see if it's what we want. We're going to check it out. When we hear the word preached, brethren, we need to prove that that word is right. Any man who stands in this pulpit who's, who's worth his salt does not mind you checking the scriptures to see if what he says is true. It's not gonna hurt my feelings. I don't think it'll hurt Frank's feelings, in fact, Brethren, it would encourage us to be better men, better speakers, better students, to know that you are checking the word to see that what we say is true. And to be honest, it would make us feel better about you, to know that you're that concerned about us and about you. Hold fast that which is good. There's a, a store up in, uh, up in Hoover, it's, uh, it's kind of like a dirt cheap, but it's, if you call it, it's kind of like comparing Taco Bell and uh, McDonald's, I guess, as to what's a better restaurant. They're both kind of at the bottom of the food chain, but uh, they haul in uh, stuff that's been returned to Amazon, closeouts, all this kind of stuff, and you can see where people go through these bins and they'll look at it and they'll throw it back and stuff is just piled everywhere. People look at it, it's not what they want, they put it back. They're proving things. They're checking to see if it's what they want, if it's worth the value that they have on it. We need to prove the word, brethren. Prove those who are teaching and preaching unto us. Matthew Henry says, this is a needful caution to prove all things, for though we must put a value on preaching, we must not take things upon trust from the preacher, but try them by the scriptures. Don't have a blind faith in the preacher. 
because preachers make mistakes. I know I have. I have misspoken, not intentionally. I have misquoted and not intentionally. But as Matthew Henry says, don't put a blind faith in the preacher. And that's what a lot of people do. They put blind faith in the preacher. He says, we must search the scriptures as the Bereans did, whether they be true or not. We must not believe every spirit, but try the spirits and hold fast that which is good. Every Christian has and ought to have the judgment of discretion. He should have his mind exercised in discerning between good and evil, truth and falsehood. We should be in the practice, brethren, of investigating what the preacher says. Check him out. It will make us better students. It will make you better students. As Matthew Henry says, that we should have our mind exercised in discerning, discerning between good and evil. You know, the U.S. government just spent over $13 million investigating whether or not there was collusion between the Donald Trump campaign and the Russians in the 2016 uh, election. And after all the drama, Mueller said he couldn't prove that uh, Trump colluded with the Russians, but he wouldn't exonerate him either. In other words, it was a $13 million waste. Regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, whether or not you like Donald Trump or you don't, you got to admit that this was, this was a travesty. Either the man was guilty or he was not. But it's politics. They weren't trying to prove anything, except they were trying to prove that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians, and they could not prove what they were trying to prove. Such is not true with the Word of God. We can prove, brethren, we can prove those things which are good, those things which are true. And we can know the difference in right and wrong. We don't have to guess. And we can rest assured in our eternal salvation if we do those things that we're told to do. Finally, brethren, in verse 22, Paul says to abstain from every appearance of evil. And I know too many people who have a problem with this because they're too comfortable with sin. I had a, a long, long, long disagreement with a brother who owned a convenience store and he sold alcohol. Saw no problem with it. Saw no problem with the fact that by selling alcohol, he was promoting alcohol. He was helping people in their sin. He thought because he didn't drink it, well, then there was no problem. Paul says to avoid every appearance of evil. I know people who like to go and eat at the casino. They say, well, I'm not gambling. Well, nobody knows that. Your appearance there gives the, the appearance of approval for the casino, for what they're doing. I passed the one in Wetumpka several times, and, and they've had some, some concerts there that I wouldn't mind going to. 
but I wouldn't because of where they're holding the concert. <clears throat> and I know how it would taint me if I were there. And I don't want to give the appearance that, that I'm approving of what's going on there. This is a good practice to have, brethren, to avoid every appearance of evil. Be conscious of what we're doing, what we're saying, where we're going. Matthew Henry says that corrupt affections indulged in the heart and evil practices allowed in the life will greatly tend to promote fatal errors in the mind. In other words, if you get comfortable with sin and think you can keep an arm's distance from it, you're wrong. Because sooner or later, you're going to get comfortable with that sin and it's going to invade your life. It's going to affect your thinking. It's going to affect the way that you live. You cannot get comfortable with sin and live the Christian life. He says we should therefore abstain from evil and all appearances of evil from sin. Abstain from it. Don't get comfortable with it. Don't get close to it. Don't get near it. He who is not shy of the appearances of sin, who shuns not the occasions of sin, and who avoids not the temptations and approaches to sin, will not long abstain from the actual commission of sin. He's saying if you get comfortable with sin, if you get used to sin, it won't be long before you're committing that sin. You can't conquer your demons if you enjoy their company. You can't wage a war against sin if you're comfortable with sin. This is the warning that Paul is giving to the brethren. To avoid even the appearance of sin. Don't get comfortable with it. Don't get near it. It has been said that the things that we tolerate, our children will embrace. And the longer I live, the, the more I see that this is true. Because as I see generation after generation come behind me, I see that these children are embracing the things that their parents tolerated. Back when I was well, back just a few years ago, homosexuality would not have been tolerated. Now here it is in the forefront. I just saw just today where, where a priest uh, sent out a tweet against, uh, well, this is LBGQ uh, Pride Month. He sent out a, pride, uh, a tweet saying that it was wrong, and he got bombarded with so many tweets that he apologized. He didn't have the courage of his convictions brethren, to stand fast in what he believed in. Don't apologize for doing right. These five things, brethren, that Paul encouraged the brethren in Thessalonica to do, we would be well to heed. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And I have to ask this evening, brethren, are we doing our best? Are we abstaining from evil? Are we, are we conscious of, of our actions and the words that we use? Do people know by what we do? Do they know who we are? Has your life been one of, of faith, one of trying to live the Christian life? Or maybe you have become distracted, distracted by things in the world. 
you know, life happens. Sickness comes along. Bills pile up. These things distract us. Perhaps we've got a job where um, we're not exactly happy anymore. Maybe we're looking for another job. Maybe there's problems at home. I don't know, but I know that we can't get distracted and we can, we can lose our fire. That spirit will be quenched. I don't know of anyone here this evening who is of, of age, who is not a Christian, but if you are, I encourage you to make that decision tonight. We don't know when Jesus is coming again. He could come in the next few minutes. It may be 20 years. We don't know. But are you willing to take that chance with your soul? Perhaps there's something amiss in your life that, that you need the brethren to pray with you for. Perhaps you need to repent of something that you've done. If you have a need, will you come as we stand and sing? <clears throat> Why do you wait, dear brother? Oh, why do you tarry so long? Your Savior is waiting to give you a place in his sanctified throne. Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? What do you hope, dear brother, to gain by a further delay? There's no one to save you but Jesus. There's no one but take his way. Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? Why not, why not, why not come to him now? Why do you wait, dear brother? The harvest is passing away. Your Savior is longing to bless you. There's danger and death in delay. Why not, why not? Why not come to him now? Why not? Why not? Why not come to him now? Please be seated. If you have not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared for you. As we sing this next song, if you'll make your way up to the front, we'll serve you. Turn with me to 365. 365. <clears throat> Man of sorrow, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Home to bring, then a new 
song will sing. Hallelujah! What a Savior! <coughs> Was there anyone that needs to be served that could not make it to the front?